Right now, it's on the next level. Are you on the level? Welcome, Primers, into our fifth and final annual of the summer. And boy, this one's going to be tedious. This one's going to be... I say one for the ages, but that's really the furthest thing from the truth. But we'll, we'll see how this goes. From the Showcast Spotlight here on the Next Level Podcast Network, I am Ben Beck. And from the Gathering Crew cast of pods, I am a very tired and soon to be very angry Rob. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's um, it's only fitting this time around because we didn't know what to do with this one. This is the one we were dreading the most and don't know why we saved it for last. Don't know why we did that at all because uh, usually <sighs> save the best for last and we didn't do it this time. So we figured this time we would bring in some help. So we're welcoming a guest into this one, uh, and that would be our friend Paul Williams, formerly of the Bats, Bows, and Books podcast, now on the What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero podcast here as well on the Next Level Podcast Network. Paul, welcome. Straight from the bowels of hell, is that obnoxious <laughs> host, Paul Williams. <laughs> you don't sound that obnoxious on your <laughs> podcast. Oh my God, oh, we should I am obnoxious. <laughs> Uh, actually, you, I want to I want to put a bet out there right now. Which one of us is gonna die from an aneurysm during this podcast? First? <laughs> <sighs> I don't know. I don't know, uh, but we should we should we should make it so that whichever one it does happen, the the person it the two remaining become the new hosts of this podcast. Okay, that works. Right. I'm I'm gonna try <laughs> to scream as loud as I can. Then <laughs> <laughs> I'm no, already we, writing a script for a slasher flick. We're good. <laughs> Now it's uh, we apologize ahead of time to we, we know that there's a lot of listeners and a lot of fans of the page that are big fans of Arrow and don't get us wrong we are too but you got to face facts this was a tough season to get through um so to anybody out there who may disagree with the things that we're going to say about this we're not going into this annual planning to intentionally trash this season we're going to talk about everything straightforward as we usually do but it's just going to be it's going to be rough because there were a lot of we had a lot of issues with this season of arrow yeah wait wait, there was good things about the season just kidding (laughs) there's a couple i think we need to preface this too None of what we are going to say is against the actors themselves. No, no. No. We we understand they have a job to do. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, you're right. And we we mentioned that quite a bit when we were talking, especially in particular to Arrow, when we were going through the season. We would always mention, like, look, this is nothing against Juliana Harkavy or Rick Gonzalez, Echo Count, like none of these guys. We we love these guys as as individuals and as actors. It's just the writers... And we're not even really putting the writers down personally. It's just, man, it, it, they made it really rough. And 
let's just get into the format of the annual and let's just dive into this because we can sit here and bitch about how bad it's going to be. Yeah, uh, um, until I, blue in the face. I, I, I might might even preface as much to say as if you walked away from the season and enjoyed it and loved it. This may not be the episode for you. So yeah, um, I, I and I don't mean that in a mean way. Um, I, I love each and every one of you. Um, this will not be. Uh, it's an annual, so the kid gloves come off. Uh, yeah, we we will be very upfront and very forward with our, our thoughts and thinking. We will do our absolute best to, to curtail our cursing. Um, I think it's going to be harder to do that in this one versus any of the other ones we've done previously. Uh, so I do apologize up front. I will do my best to watch it, but um, yeah, this well, is a, uh, this is going to be rough. This is I, uh, I, I promised Ben I'd keep it PG 13. Because <laughs> we all know well, my podcast is rated R, so <laughs> uh, yeah, you drop the f bombs a lot in your <laughs> no, podcast, and um, I think it's I think it's fair that just like any PG thirteen movie, you're allowed one, so uh, just reserve it, like okay. save it for something good. <laughs> so in, we in each are allowed one. So <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I think, and I think we all know where it's going to come in. And oh, but... <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm gonna preface this now. Uh, how about whenever we feel the need that after we get our one in, uh, we just say the word pancakes instead. Uh, so <laughs> by right. the end of this, maybe we'll just all just want breakfast. So it's okay. Do you guys see oh. the movie Cabin Fever? Uh, yes. I just, Remember yes. the kid pancakes? <laughs> just you, you may you reminded me of that. Yeah. Wow, you just equated this season of Arrow to a horror film. Okay, all right. <laughs> not a good. You said pancakes. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so the format of our annuals, if you are new to these as well, and if you are new to our annuals, apologies that you are starting with this one. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, the format of our annuals is we go over. Uh, we're going to break down the season uh, individual into individual parts. We're going to talk first about our least favorite and favorite characters of the season, least favorite and favorite moment slash aspect of the season, least favorite and favorite episodes of the season and then we're going to rate both the villain and the season as a whole in our two point in our two tiered ranking uh, which we give each of those a one through ten one two one through three being sidekick four through seven being hero and eight through ten being legend don't even know why we're bringing up the legend uh yeah it will not happen at all in this episode so <laughs> no it will, I don't think from any of the three of us, oh, either this villain season or season legendarily pissed us all off. <laughs> <laughs> if it's like this is like one of those ones where you better hope it's golf, golf rules. <laughs> <laughs> Lowest score is better because that's what you're getting. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. Uh, so that being said, let's now jump into um, characters for the season, uh, starting first with uh, our least favorite character. Uh, for this season six of Arrow. If you guys don't mind, I want to start this one off. Sure. I think we're going to probably end up sharing it, so it's okay. Well, well, we'll see. But um, it's my least favorite character is actually one that's kind of surprising because in season five, it was the this character was the furthest from my least favorite. And it's only because of what they did with this character. They became my least favorite. And that's Vigilante. Um. Uh, probably not the one you were thinking I was going to choose, but Vincent Sobel, aka Vigilante, I was expecting so much more from a reveal of that character. I forgot and the, that Vigilante was in this season. It's okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, I mean, the reveal of Vigilante and who he was being Vincent Sobel, aka, um, you know, Black Canary's former partner, uh, and also a metahuman, I, I, it was such a letdown. Okay. It was an extreme letdown. 
I found he was boring until his final episode when he kicked the bucket. Well, because it was a little bit of a redemption for the character. But uh, I mean, other than that, like he was just I was expecting it to be like somebody we would have never expected to be under the hood. And because we were making all these predictions about who Vigilante could be last season in season five. And then when we finally get that reveal, we're like, oh, okay, we had no idea who the hell this guy was. Yeah, it would have been better if he had been. um, uh, What's his name? Curtis's uh, ex-husband. Yeah, that was one of the predictions we had made last season. But it, to me, just the reveal of Vigilante and, and becoming Vincent Sobel, a character we were just meeting for the first time, I um, and it, it, to me, it was just a huge letdown. So my least favorite character of the season is Vigilante. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul, how about you? What was your, your least favorite character of the season? I kind of have two. And one, because actually the actress played her so well, I hated her guts. And the other one, just because the worst writing possible for that character. Now, the one that the actress played it really well, FBI agent Watson, as much as like she played it awesome, I hated her fucking character. There's my F word. No more. (laughs) (laughs) And the black canary. You killed Dinah Drake in this season. Absolutely mutilated that character. That was my honorable mention. And I have a feeling probably the one that Rob chose. Uh, actually, I was at at a kind of a tie and I wasn't sure which way to go. Uh, so, um, I will, I will say my runner up was Renee, uh, somebody who I used to adore and love. And every time he said Haas, you're like, I love him. And now every time you hear uh, the word Haas, you're like, please go away now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I, it was, Man, the Outsiders, and again, we'll just remind everybody: the Outsiders has has been our name for the team. Um, yeah, you know the 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 new t- uh, new team arrow. So, for those of you that haven't kept up, uh, that would be Curtis, Renee, and uh, you know Black Canary. Uh, but I will definitely say my my uh, my award for worst character of the season, hands down, was Dinah Drake. Um, Paul and I both share much much disdain and hatred uh for the way that arrow as a whole has handled the character of black canary and we were on a really (laughs) uh, well yeah i mean all four of them they've done such a bang up job in in just a wonderful six seasons uh to manage to never get the character right and they were on a good track of doing this character fairly decently mm-hmm. and then we just got into the season like you know what we're, we're about to do something right let's let's just Let's clean house and uh, let's let's make sure we we keep up with our our, our classic trends of making this character at least uh, farthest away from what this character is supposed to be. Yeah, so because um, man, they because they, they just did it again. They absolutely yeah. did it again. Going into the season, I was excited for a black canary because of the way it ended in season five. I'm like, oh, my God, they're doing it right. This is amazing. And, and was, then, I, yeah, out I, came the butcher. Yeah, yeah just... and uh, <laughs> I was I was kind of waiting for the start of the season after last year to be like, man, if they open up to her for the first time this season, like her, like, hey, look, did you know that she played in a band and she's playing in a punk band or an alternative band? How awesome would have would have that been? And they're like, you know what? Yeah. No, no, because it was all set up. They they ha- they had the ability to do all these wonderful things with with Dinah, and nope, they just ruined every last little iota of my interest in her character uh and i think pretty much permanently so uh, it's, i still have one little hope that probably got 
murdered by the season's end anyways but <laughs> there's one little iota of hope i have for a black canary character still uh yeah, yeah. well but it's not even black canary so no no and it's you know it's uh, like i said dino was my runner-up for this season and that's because uh, again you guys are more familiar with the true origin of dino than i am so i was going off basically what i just knew from you guys and i knew from conversations and talking to the both of you as well as things i had read online uh, but it was one of those things that i she was my runner-up and not my main only because the vigilante aspect was such a condensed story whereas dinah's was spread out don't get me wrong, Dinah's, I think, hit a lot more lows than Vincent Sobel's, but by the end, by the finale, I still felt there was maybe a little bit of redemption to Dinah's character, and some of the things that, uh, to some of the things that she had done earlier in the season that made me hate her character. So I think it was because of that little bit of redemption that I actually bumped her to honorable mention and not hated. Not number one. I understand where you're coming from. Um, I my opinion is slightly skewed on that, but I I don't I do understand what what you're stating. Um, mm. And I think the redemption is just because the writers forgot to address the thing that happened. Um, but yeah, <laughs> that's the only reason she still has an angle of potential potentially redeeming her is because you know one of the episodes we'll be talking about at great length in this episode is going to be collision course <laughs> and. They kind of treat collision course like it just never happened uh, it, after a certain point. Um, and they're like, well, whatever. And then they just continue on with the story. And it was it was. Uh, but that was the one that did the most damage to so many characters this season. And, and the majority of them never recovered from it. So, yeah, well, I think it's I, I think it's um, one of the reasons why they kind of pretended like it didn't happen is I think the writers actually kind of hoped and regretted that conversation that. Um, that episode because I think weren't there articles I, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves too but I think there were articles that come out that had said that they the writers had admitted that was not the reaction they were going for by that episode yeah, yeah. Mark, Guggen uh, Mark Guggenheim came out and said that he figured the fans were going to react like you know like they embraced Civil War but I'm sorry Marvel Civil War was a lot better than this and executed a lot better but he apparently had this vision in his mind that that's how it was going to be received. And no, it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> Not even close. Nope. So. Um, all right. Let's move on to favorite characters of the season. And this is going to be interesting because this was a tough one for me. Uh, so I'm going to be curious if it was the same for you guys as well. Let's start with Rob on this one ah rob okay. who's your, your favorite character of the uh of the season uh i gotta give a big runner-up and it's i can't really give it as my favorite character because again it was a single episode kind of cameo thing uh and that was the quick return of uh christopher chance aka the human target uh in episode 21 nice. docket 11 19 41 73 um that was such a great little twist that um it made a lot of sense for what they were doing to have him be come back into the mix. But he's such a character that I love the way that they play him here. And it was really awesome to see him make one more appearance. So uh, I do hope maybe we'll see him again in season seven. But it's a big wait and see. Um, two favorite characters, uh, kind of a tie. And um, one of them, um, I, I just I adore him so much is Quentin. 
Uh, Quentin Lance has always been one of my favorite characters. Definitely a little foggy in the head this season on some of the things and some of the moves he was making and things he was doing. Uh, well, that's what happens when you get struck in the head with a staff. Well, yeah, I, I was. Yeah, I was, gonna, <laughs> I, I was getting there. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I was like, but I was gonna say, yeah, it it's definitely makes sense after your your bludgeoned <laughs> multiple uh, multiple times in the head. I ruined your punchline. I'm sorry. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> but um, like I said, I still ultimately can't give him the top honor. I had to give it to Thea. Um, Same. Thea, she while she, while she was not in the large majority of the season. Um, when she was there, man, she was the only voice of reason in this season and, and made me very disappointed and sad when she was like, well, I'm, I'm heading out now and I, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. And you're like, oh God, no, the voice of reason is leaving the show. And I'm like, at least we still have Quentin. Oh, wait a second. Um, <laughs> so, um, favorite characters, but I also feel that, um, it, it was, it, also kind of terrifying because those are the two people that keep this show sometimes grounded and keep certain times the caliber of sequences elevated and above uh, a high high um that now with them both gone it kind of also makes me incredibly sad that they're gone so uh so paul how about you your uh your favorites well i'm kind of on the same page as rob with uh thea Thea was easily my favorite character. Thea was the one that week after week I was raving about, like, thank God she's on this show. And then it was like, came along the episode, what, the Thanatos Guild, I think it was called, where all of a sudden it was like, oh, by the way, I'm leaving and I'm taking Roy and Nissa with me. And it's like, what? <laughs> no, you didn't just do that. Um, I mean, those of us who follow the behind the scenes stuff, we knew it was coming. But mm-hmm. I mean, still, it was a very sad moment to have the one character I was looking forward to week after week uh, now being taken off the show. So I have no clue what I'm in for in season seven being that like, you know, Rob pointed out, we also lost Quentin and it's like, those were the two that when you had like the worst episode, they usually came along and saved it just enough that you wanted to keep watching. And now they're both gone. Um, but, But I also, I, I kind of threw two cameos in there because for me personally, they were like the episode with Adrian chase. Never had I loved an episode and laughed my ass off as much as I did with that episode because it also made me realize how much Josh Segura needs to stay on this show in some form or another. Like even if Oliver goes through a full season of vertigo, just so that we keep his hallucination there, I'm fine with this. Um, because I absolutely loved Adrian Chase and uh, Slade Wilson. Uh, anytime a new Bennett's been on this show, I have absolutely loved it. Uh, seasons one and two, obviously, are by far my favorite seasons. And watching, like, I, I, my rewatch of Arrow season six was about four episodes, and I was like, that's enough. Um, <laughs> but uh, I had to watch the, the, especially the two where Slade and Oliver go looking for uh, Slade's son. Th- those are some really fine episodes yeah very early in the season but they were that's when i still had a lot of hope for season six and our our also final goodbye to manu bennett in this in this season and series as well so because he was officially taken off the board so yeah yeah we can we can kind of call this season we can split the season in half and we can call it bcc and acc um before collision course and after collision course Mm -hmm. yeah 
because that's that's that really is a turning point of the season the way you look at it and i'm not saying one half is better than the other they both had their struggles but um yeah it's it, there's some of those earlier episodes uh, although my favorites the episodes that i'm giving my favorites actually do happen in the second half but uh as far as my favorite characters go i'm right on the same page uh, i have quentin as my favorite with thea as my honorable mention i, I gave it to quentin because as most people who watch the season already know, this did turn out to be his final season. I think I've given him my favorite character in the past as well in some other annuals. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure I have. But considering this is the last opportunity I will have to give Quentin that honor, I gave it to Quentin. There, there was no question. He has been... It's very odd because um, we talked about this a little bit in The Flash, and I know we've mentioned this before too, how... The true heroes of these episodes are the main characters, but the hearts of these episodes aren't always the heroes. Uh, you know, we've talked about, uh, you know, how Wells is really, in my opinion, the true heart of, of Arrow. One of the true hearts of Arrow being, um, Joe, uh, Papa Joe being the other one. But, and when it comes to Arrow, Quentin to me has always been the heart of the show. He, he, one of the hearts of the show. He's been the father figure. He's been the one, Paul, as you mentioned, who anytime things go wrong in these episodes to us as viewers and we start to just really not be happy with the way these episodes are going. Paul Blackthorne, aka Quentin Lance was always one of the people that stepped up and saved the episode for us as viewers. And there were a number of times that happened in this season i will granted i will say that there were definitely moments of this season where even as viewers we were like quentin what the hell are you doing uh, especially when it came to <clears throat> things he was doing with the return of katie cassidy uh the return of you know laurel lance so but you can kind of scratch that up to issues of like this is a father trying to deal with a daughter who's who he believed was dead. So you can kind of write it off a little bit. But favorite Quentin, favorite character of the season, Quentin Lance. Honorable mention goes to Thea. However, I do have another honorable mention that I'm surprised nobody has brought up. Anatoly. <laughs> Rob, I thought if anybody, you would be the one to bring him I up. I do love him and all. Um, I, I think I've given uh, given him that nod previously. And he, well, yes, he was involved pretty heavily here. Um. I still think everybody else, the, the, the other two people I mentioned, I think has kind of edged him out because it's just, again, I more Anatoly is never a problem in my mind. Um, I just feel like um, the few things that we did still see elsewhere uh, and his involvement as one of the villains earlier in the season still felt so out of character. So, uh, well, not out, out of character, uh, just out of left field. Um, but that was because of the show and it kind of forced his character into a weird place. Um, I mean, we did see a very fun version of Anatoly by the later part of the series uh, and this yeah. season, but uh, the front half was a little it was a hard pill to swallow for me. So, yeah, it, it, okay. it was fun seeing, though, like that they they went back to what worked with Anatoly and Oliver, like the the little bantering between each other, the the cute little comments and stuff like that. Like they went back to that. But yeah, like I agree, like the, the beginning of the season seemed Seemed like he was still bearing that grudge that he had against Oliver, but like a little too fierce, if you know what I mean. Like it, it did seem very off for Anatoly's character, but at least by the end of the season, we had that like they were like kind of back on the same page, and mm -hmm. yeah. hopefully, you know, we see more of that in this next season. Yeah. 
Uh, cool. All right. So with that being said, let's move on to our favorite and least favorite moments or aspects of this season, season six. And we're going to start off with least favorite moment or aspect. Paul, we're going to start off with you on this okay, one. So uh, aspect. Here's aspect or here, moment. here's it's, my thing. Here's my one. thing with Arrow season six that I, I did not un- still to this day. I still don't understand it. Why? they had okay in season five oliver goes out he finds these is this nta as people call it as we call them the outsiders brings them in trains them he has all this respect for them and then in season six it's like you went like right out of your way to make three characters that we were all starting to really enjoy you made us hate the living daylights out of them um i don't understand why like why going so extreme and okay so in terms of like collision course uh, versus civil war in civil war. When I watched that, even though I saw my, my favorite heroes on both sides fighting each other, I still loved both sides. This on the other hand, it was like, I never in my life wanted Oliver to kick so much ass in my life as I did in that Mm -hmm. episode, like just beat the hell out of these people because they're driving me nuts. And it's like Rob mentioned about Renee. Renee was one character that even when people didn't like him, I was constantly going, that dude's awesome. I love him. Like, and I mean, you guys heard me in, in, in a, a previous episode where I specifically said, put, put a bullet in his head. Like, and I know that was pretty harsh, but my point was, was this character became one that I loved so much. And now you made me hate him so much. What was with that? Like, I don't understand how, how does that benefit this show any to make us hate three characters so much that, okay, you have this great finale. Oliver's going around and, you know, thanking everyone and apologizing. Okay. So you redeem the characters enough that I won't hate them going into season seven, but I still don't care for them either way either. Like, and that the the whole aspect of those three characters, uh, Curtis, Renee and Dinah, I do not understand why bring them in in the first place. If you're going to make me hate these three characters so much, I don't understand where the thought process was on that. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. One of my, I, I would say my least favorite aspect of this season kind of connects to that pretty closely, which was um, sweeping problems under the rug. Uh, and that is a, yeah. a general issue of this season as a whole. Uh, and it's used over and over and over again, which is this idea of we're going to bring up these plot threads And, oh, crap, we caused ourselves a larger problem and situation. Well, we now need to find a way to address it in the show. But they always did it in a such a weird, loose way. Um, As you just mentioned in the finale where Oliver's saying goodbye to everybody. You know, it's because it's kind of like as Oliver's like kind of like, hey, look, uh, I took I had a part in all this to play as well. Such and such and such, yada, yada, yada. And it's like, hey, we're cool now. And I'm like. Just because the characters say it doesn't mean the audience is. And that's kind of felt like what the theme was, is they had to go out of the way and write sequences for our main characters that we follow between OTA, NTA, uh, the heroes, uh, you know, the other heroes in the in the world, the villains as well, all these pieces. Uh, but they never gave them actual good finite conclusions ever or address the problems in the way they should. It was a lot of lazy writing to get around the problems that they caused and created for themselves, which they really should have looked at and really thought about a little bit more. So, I, you know, again, collision course is a big stemming point for a lot of that. But even beforehand, um, 
you know, even when we get to the villains, that'll become a large part of this problem as well. Like they had to sweep that problem completely under the rug. And a lot of it just felt so off and reactionary versus, hey, this was plotted and planned from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And as much as Mark Guggenheim said uh, everything was pl- uh, plotted and planned from the start, there's no way anybody believes that statement after watching the season. <laughs> um, yeah. No, so. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I think that was my biggest, my real big gripe about the season is uh, bad conclusions or forced con- conclusions to situations that should have been properly addressed. If you're going to do something like collision course, man, if you're going to do that and make us hate these characters, dude, play that up for a lot longer and a lot more in, in an intense way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it, it started feeling a little bit like the supernatural of it all where I'm like, Okay, we just need to find a way to extend out for another six seasons. How are we going to do this? Oh, yeah, let's just cause this little undercurrent that may constantly crop back up or populate back up. It's it's that we have to find a way to drag this out and on because we don't have anything else to do. Or, oh, crap, we caused this problem. Now I guess we have to address it. And that was the kind of what happened here. And I, I, I think that was, again, the huge, huge uh, issue for me. So, Okay, so that would be your, your least favorite moment or aspect of the season? Uh, yeah, I, I think that would be the key one. Uh, notable, uh, you know, uh, runner up is uh, the random Elicity hijacking wedding. Uh, so I think, yeah, that, <laughs> I, and we once we once they did it and we got past it and got over it pretty quickly. But still, um, a, a situation that felt like it came out of nowhere and very forced into the early part of the season, uh, just because it, they just felt like they had to. I don't know why it was because they had to have a double wedding. And that's what what it was. It was playing into yeah. some of the dumbest tropes in the world just so they can say they did it. So mm-hmm. it's so funny too, because I had somebody, um, my friend Andrea has been very behind on Arrowverse <clears throat> and she's been gradually playing catch up. All these seasons have already been over and she's now watching all of them. And she keeps sending me notes every once in a while about certain things. And when she got done with Crisis on Earth X, she literally, she sent me an IM and she said, she said, Crisis was awesome, but really they had to step all over their wedding uh, so i started laughing i was like thank you that is the main point everybody had that was the only complaint everybody yep. had about crisis on earth x was the fact that they literally hijacked barry and iris oh you wedding. could cut an entire episode of that four-part uh, crossover that was all about the the marriage that was constantly getting interjected into scene after scene mm-hmm. um yeah and which is the only reason I think I rated that crossover a little bit less than I did invasion. It was just, there was about 40 minutes you could probably cut from it. That was just unnecessary. So, yeah. Uh, my least favorite aspect of the season can literally be summed up in one word. And Rob, you actually touched on it a little bit earlier already. That one word, Haas, good God (laughs) could like, it became like a massively overused catchphrase of the season. Uh, you know, I, I equate it to if you've ever seen the Lethal Weapon movies with Joe Pesci and the, OK, OK, OK. Like that's what it equated to every uh, there were certain in that final moment with Quentin. When Renee is saying goodbye to Quentin, he uses Haas four times like and it, it even came to a point where Quentin says to him, please don't call me Haas at my funeral. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it, like it, Seriously, like if your own characters within the series are starting to realize this is an overused term, God, cut it back. Yeah. Like it was just way too much. Like, don't get me wrong. Again, Paul, like you said, this is nothing against Rick Gonzalez. He's an awesome dude. Um, 
But my God, like, did you really have to write Haas as like every third word well, in his script? Again, uh, I think the, the writers were trying to find a way to use it as verbs, adjectives, and nouns throughout the entirety of this season. And I think they yeah. succeeded. So <laughs> it might not have been so bad had he stuck with one character and called him Haas, but he was pretty much doing it to everybody but Felicity, who he, for, he refers to as Blondie. But it seemed like almost like everyone was all of a sudden a Haas. I think even at one point, I think he even called his own daughter Haas. It, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> and it's literally like it's it's his version of dude. Yeah. Like that's really what it is. And even dude is overused by people who use dude. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like it, you put it that way, Renee is the uh, is the, the sea turtle version <laughs> is the sea turtle from Finding Nemo version in Arrow. It's like really like so yeah, Haas was just so overused this season to the point where like it was cool and it was cute the first couple times when he started using it when his character was first introduced. Like eh, he called Quentin Haas. That's funny. Now it's like oh my god, he called Quentin Haas. Like knock it off. Yeah. It's it just it it got to be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So, but that leads us into our favorite moment or aspects of this. Uh, of the season. And um, I'm going to kick this one off again. And I'm actually going to go with Oliver versus Diaz 2 in the finale. That fight scene to me, James Bamford never, never disappoints when it comes to choreography in the show. And that's one thing we've been saying for a while is that while the writing has suffered, this show hands down has some of the best fight scenes across the Arrowverse, across any of these DC shows. And a lot of that is because of James Bamford. Mm -hmm. He's just been an incredible stunt coordinator and has even go on to direct a number of these episodes. So whenever there's a fight scene, and there were quite a few from this season that were actually really top notch. But man, that... That fight scene at the end during the finale, which was the final one-on-one, for now at least, between Oliver and Diaz, just the visual of the visualness of that fight scene with it being like in the rain at night on a rooftop, like with slow motion scenes of like kicks over heads, like that is what you picture from like a boss fight. Yeah. And that is everything we got from that. So for that reason, that fight scene, that was probably one of my favorite moments from this season. So, um, uh, Paul, how about you? My favorite aspect of the season? Uh, the moment it ended? (laughs) No, um, actually, I'm Steven's acting. Do you know, especially, okay, and this is coming from me. The moment when him and Quentin have that speech in the finale between the two of them about like, you know, when he says like um, he's talking about his father and then like or like like Quentin thinks he's talking about his father. And then he's like, no, I'm talking about you. I teared up. I don't tear up very often for this show, especially not this season. If anything, I was tearing up from anger. But <laughs> um His acting this season was phenomenal. And on top of that, I probably could even, you know, chop a bit of that up to Paul Blackthorne because whenever Paul Blackthorne and Steven were on the screen together, it was some of the best acting gold I've seen out of this series. 
let alone this season. Um, yeah, Steven's acting by far was great. Uh, you mentioned about James Bamford and the fight scenes. That too. like, I, And whenever I see directed by James Bamford, I know I'm in for a good episode. Even if there's things that anger me, it's usually still a really solid episode. That That's a man who brings a lot of passion to this show. Um, I'm surprised they don't make him a showrunner at times, but uh, those pro- probably, uh, you know, St- Stephen Amell and James Bamford are probably two of the things that failed to uh, disappoint me this season. Okay, <clears throat> I, w- I was impressed with both. Yeah, and I'm right there with you too. That final speech, I actually, uh, when we were pl- when we were uh, planning this, and I was doing my prep for this annual, uh, the finale mm-hmm. was the one episode I actually did go back and rewatch, and mainly because that fight scene stuck out in my head, so I wanted to rewatch it to make sure mm-hmm. that I I wanted to confirm what I was thinking about that fight scene, and and I was uh, luckily I was confirmed, and that was why it stood firm on my uh, my favorite moment, but. Um, Rob, before we get to yours too, I want to bring up something. I, at one note that I actually do have here. And this is the one thing that I will honestly give this show huge props and huge credit for. By the end of this season, we see something that we have never seen in a superhero on any of these shows yet. It's hinted at time and time again throughout all these shows that these guys are willing to make the ultimate sacrifice in order to, for the, for the greater good, whether it's to save somebody else, save their city, whatever. This is the first time we are legitimately seeing this happen. Every other time, like it comes down to like, I'll do what I have to, to make, to, to, you know, to fix this or to, to stop him or whatever it is. There's always something happens that prevents them having to do that. But this is the first time we're actually seeing, to Oliver's credit and to Stephen Amell's credit, we're seeing that happen. Mm-hmm. He is now going to be suffering consequences of that promise. Like he was willing to do whatever it took. And in the end, it came down, it came down to him having to do that. He sacrificed himself for the betterment to save the city. Mm-hmm. And that's why as much shit as we are giving this season, I'm still very hopeful for this show. Oh yeah. Going into season seven. So yeah, that was just that, that was my additional two cents. As, as much as, as much as we are all going and have been kind of dogging on this season, this is the show that started it all. And it's the one thing that I never forget. It's the reason I keep coming back, even when I'm so angry and I, so PO'd about the episode or, you know, a series of episodes. And I'm like, God, where, when are you guys going to get this right? But I always come back because it is the show that started it all. Without this show, we don't have this great Arrowverse that's now even bringing in Batwoman of all characters. Like, I never saw that coming. And, I mean, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. You, you saved Constantine for me. You've done so much. All because this show started in 2012. Yeah, and no, I will yeah. never forget that. And so, yeah, I I was not impressed with this season at all. It's already on sale, and I refuse to buy it. Like, <laughs> and I've bought all the rest of them. Um, yeah, but as as much as it angered me, this is still one of the. It's it's the the grandfather of the whole universe, and I can't forget that. And like you said, like like. 
like it's the first time we're seeing where the hero he didn't get that get out of jail free card. No, he's actually having to go through it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I so. was that was I think I you know, like I would say, you know, for me and Paul, you kind of joked on this too, <laughs> was my favorite part of the season was uh I, I, I joked even before we started recording too, my yeah. was three way, which was when it went on break the first time, the second time, and when the series ended. I love uh, that. <laughs> that was awesome. Because it was I didn't have to think about the show and it made my, my life feel generally better. Um, <laughs> so, and, and I, you know, I was, I was even contemplating in my brain as, as you guys were talking, I was like, you know what? There's that adage that our parents teach us when we're kids. Uh, if you don't have any, uh, don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Um, <laughs> so, and I was this ready podcast to just would have been there. five minutes long then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was, I was kind of almost ready to leave it there, but you guys did remind me that, you know, yeah, I think the finale, the finale was was that moment where I was like, hey, they're willing to take the Arrowverse in its next step with having a public hero. Um, and I think that's a very important part because the show is the one that has to do it. And it's not that the Flash couldn't or, you know, Supergirl couldn't do that if, if they did, if they wanted to. But I think Arrow is the show that it makes the most sense with. It goes close in hand in hand with the comics of that being a, a, a out and out hero. Uh, everybody knows that, you know, the the mayor of Star City is also the Green Arrow, you know, all these pieces um, and, you know, going back into the day. But I, I do love the fact that he chose to unmask himself by the end of the season. And it is going to be something that's going to bite him in the ass next season. And it is going to change the dynamic of who his character is going forward. And I think that's exactly the injection the show needed. Um, it was getting to that point where there's only so many stories you can begin to retell. Um, or have those one-off villains come into the mix or try to shake up the situations a little bit here and there. Um, but I really do appreciate the fact that they were willing to take a big risk by the end of the season by doing that, and I'm really excited and looking forward to where things are going to go because of that decision. So I will say, if there was a saving grace for me, it was that that moment. Um, and I think it was the moment that they needed to fall and land on. And I do think that's the one place this season actually did achieve what it was setting out to do was to end on a moment almost as big as how season five ended and i think they gave it to us and uh, I, I am very pleased and happy that it feels like it's going to set up something fun for season seven whereas i think you know if i think of beyond or anything beyond that i think i'd really be fighting to to give you guys an answer if they didn't do that moment so mm-hmm. so all right cool uh, I think that leads us now into, oh, here we go. Um, that leads let's us do, into our, why don't we do favorite episode first? Cause the other part's going to go a lot longer. So, okay. Uh, no, <laughs> I think that makes a lot of sense. It's, I mean, yeah, it's, I think we're across the board. We know what our least favorite episode is. And I, I don't think it's, I, I think it's safe to say that even people who were listening to the podcast or have listened to our podcast in the past know exactly what episode is because most people were hell when we did that week. That was one of our most highest rated or highest listened to episodes of of our regular weekly podcast. And that was because so many people were out there looking, listening to different opinions on that one particular episode. Um, so, yeah, I mean, across the board. I think it's safe to say Collision Course is going to be our least favorite episode of the season. But yeah, we'll we'll save that. And instead, let's do talk about our, our favorite, bring up what our favorites are first. Uh, and Rob, we'll start with you 
on this one? Favorite episode of the season? Um, kind of odd. I don't think anybody else may have picked this one, but um, one of those episodes I was very happy and pleasantly surprised with, but also at the same time that things got a little weird, <laughs> which was episode 13, The Devil's Greatest Trick. Um, Caden James was somebody we said time and time and time again that was just not a interesting or fun villain. Um, and they gave us an episode that was interesting and really kind of very in-depth when we found out a lot more about Kane James as a character. And we had this wonderful getting to know and love this guy and understand why he was doing what he was doing. But we still, none of us ever really believed him as the big bad. And this was the episode was proof positive of it as why. Um, when the wolf got pulled over our eyes by the end. And, you know, I, I remember serves correctly. I remember saying early on in the season when we were like, okay, so we've got Ricardo Diaz, you know, Richard Dragon. Here is a lackey. And I'm like, I'm not buying it. And I remember saying that early on in season six. And uh, the end of, uh, end of episode 13 was a big proof positive that that, that was the right hunch. Uh, when we actually did see Caden locked away and in custody, um, the city no longer held at ransom, and we see Diaz walk in into the uh, the SCPD and put a bullet in his head, and uh, things come to a close for Caden James. And just when we were finding out Michael, um, Michael Emerson was a perfect, enjoyable fit for the show, um, they also removed him. So, but it was, I think it was done in such a great way. And there's this beautiful sequence in this episode too, with Michael Emerson and, uh, the actor that plays William Oliver's son, um, when he is being kind of, he's holding kind of William hostage and is explaining everything that went down and broke down. And, uh, it was just a wonderful, uh, wonderfully acted sequence and, um, was great to see Emerson get a chance to finally stretch his acting chops on this season. And, um, I think it was a great way for his character to go out. So I really enjoyed this episode thoroughly. Yeah, that's that's a good one, too. And it's, it's one that I actually um, I kind of forgot about, uh, in all honesty. I mean, I na- I listed my my favorite episode and or when I was thinking about my favorite episode, it was one that didn't really that particular episode is one that didn't really come to mind. And it wasn't because it wasn't one of my favorites. Again, it was just, it kind of blended into the mix of everything. But you're right. Michael Emerson was such a fantastic and, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like captivating character that you're right. By the time we grew to really, really enjoy his character being there and the dynamic his character was bringing, he was written off, but he was written off in such a way that it kept us captivated as viewers. So you're right. That was one smart thing that they did with that particular episode. Uh, Paul, I'm going to send it over to you for yours. And only because I know just from our prep, you and I share the same favorite episode. Yeah, I, so I, uh, I, I'll, I'll let you take it. I kind of have two. Um, and it's interesting. I do as well, but I, but I think ours are the yeah, same. Yeah, it, it's interesting <laughs> because when we were talking about favorite characters, I mentioned two cameos. Both cameos are in both of the episodes, like like Promises Kept, which was episode six, Slade Wilson's in that, and Fundamentals, which Josh Zagara, a.k.a. Adrian Chase, is in that one. Those were my two favorite episodes. It was very hard to pick one of the two because in the one episode, I've got Manu Bennett just killing it as Deathstroke the Terminator and very emotional scenes between him and his son when he realizes his son went right down the same path he did uh, because he witnessed the, you know his father killing that 
um, Asian spy in, in the woods and realizing that, you know, that trip they went on was all just a sham so that he could, you know, watch the spy and whatnot. And it, I, I found like that, that episode was very, um, I, I, I guess emotional is the word I'm thinking of. I, I didn't get so emotional over it, but it was just, Watching the performances, uh, seeing the camaraderie between Oliver and Slade again. I mean, granted, we got that kind of in the the previous episode and plus the finale from the year before and whatnot. But that episode really stood out. And then Fundamentals was just it was such a good episode because it was important to the story. And at the same time, it, it brought a lot of levity to a season that was looking very bleak near the end. Um, and just having uh, I, again Oliver and what uh, his um, like his stage presence with um, Adrian Chase, I, I found that in both episodes they, as much as the other characters like Slade and Adrian were like kind of like the main focus in a way, they really helped to make Oliver shine in in the episodes. Um, and it, so it was very hard to pick between one or the other. I kind of just said hell with it they're both awesome um (laughs) i probably see my thing was was also i did really like the finale but i found that the finale was also i almost got the feeling that they were just cleaning the slate for the new showrunner that comes in um and just like rob rob has mentioned the the whole sweeping under the rug thing uh the the conversation between oliver and dinah just seemed like it was almost forced uh, the conversation between Oliver and Renee seemed like it just it's supposed to be an emotional moment, but it didn't really move me either way. It was like, okay, yeah, they're both doing what they do. Uh, I found that Oliver, like you could genuinely believe him, but the outsiders, I just, I, I'm still at a point where it's like, okay, I, I can deal with them, but I don't care for them. Um, so yeah, it promises kept in fundamentals. I think we're the two that stood out the most for me this season. Okay, yeah, <clears throat> fundamentals was mine. It was my number one. Just and you kind of hit the nail on the head with everything. Is the reasons why I loved it so much was first off. I mean, it was just so great seeing Josh Garrett return to the series, mm-hmm. even if just for one episode. the The dynamic of the two of them playing off of each other was, you know, both just again I use that word captivating, mm-hmm. but not just captivating, but humorous because yes. there were so many times that just he. he I love Josh Aguirre so much. And I, like you said, mentioned earlier, I wish there was a way they could find to bring him back. And I, unfortunately, I don't think there is a way at this the point. What, other than the one scene, other than doing, oh, sorry, go on, go on. No, I, I was just going to say, other than doing a whole episode, a whole season of him on Vertigo. Yeah. Um, but it's, I, I, I gave my runner up, uh, to the finale because I actually did enjoy the finale. There were a mm. lot of elements that came out of it. Uh, including that fight scene between Oliver and Diaz. Oh, that's a, we that's got, a great fight scene. And I mean, we got, in addition to that, we got the quit, we got the death of Quentin Lance, which is sad, but we got that beautiful moment between Paul Blackthorne and Stephen Amell, which we already talked about a little bit. We got to see a little bit of a redemption arc in Katie Cassidy's Laurel Lance in that, uh, and not only that, but also with Dinah Drake in helping both Laurel and Quentin to, to get out of yes. that situation. And, and we got a big lead in as to, I think what we were expecting Diaz to be this season 
now we're kind of set up for him to be that next mm-hmm. season as well, since we know he survived. So there was a lot that was that came out of that finale that even though there were a lot of disappointing moments from this sixth season, it still left me with that urge to know what's going to happen and to be very hopeful for where season seven is going to go. So for a finale to do that when in 20, what, 22 other episodes, you've left me disappointed for the most Mm -hmm. part. And, but in one episode, you turned it around for me. That says a lot. So that's why fundamentals again was my favorite, but I gave my my runner up to life set. Fundamentals, though, the, the one thing I did want to point out, and I'm sure you might even agree with me, possibly, um, gave me the the probably my favorite scene of the whole season when Oliver and Lance are talking, and Lance uh, Quentin says to him, "You still on the vertigo?" And he looks up and sees Josh Segura sitting on the couch waving at him. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm still on it. <laughs> I never, I haven't laughed that hard for an Arrow episode, I think, probably since the prior season. That was, without a doubt, like my most favorite moment like in terms of like a scene in an episode. Because I actually had to, like the next day, I had to rewatch that scene a couple times because I couldn't stop laughing. Just yeah. the way Josh Segura is just smiling there with the little uh, hi. It's like, oh my god, you're <laughs> hilarious, dude. I, I mean, and the beauty and the beauty about that is too. I, I enjoyed that so much. Um, and this is my. I'm trying to limit each podcast I do. I'm trying to give myself like one name drop moment and limit it to just one, kind of like we are with F words. Mm-hmm. Um, after meeting Josh and, and like being on stage with him and everything. Dude, everything, it made me enjoy that episode so much more because it was kind of a little bit of the real him mm-hmm. shining through that character, nice. which we didn't get to see in season five because he was playing such yeah. a, a particular role in season five. So to see him kind of let a little bit of himself shine through mm-hmm. this version of the character this time just made me enjoy it so much more because he really is he's a hysterical guy oh, yeah. in person so uh to see him let that kind of shine through just made me enjoy it so much yep. more with that being said oh good god do we really have to do this uh we can just talk about other movies for a while if we want <laughs> so have you guys seen the trailer for well did you see they're bringing all the marvel movies back to imax they really are too, which I'm excited about. Anyway, <laughs> let's just um, talk about Marvel Civil War because it, we get such <laughs> warm feelings talking about that. <laughs> we could because that was definitely their attempt to do that. Uh-huh. But yeah, I, mean, I think we got to do it, and um, it's going to be interesting because this is such a polarizing episode. But in that, I, I when you say polarizing, it usually means you either love it or you hate it. I don't know anybody who loves it. I know people who are okay with it. And we're talking about Collision Course, obviously, episode 14. And I know more people that hated it rather than loved it. I don't think I don't think I've ever talked to anybody that even enjoyed any of it. So, okay, I will say um, this, though. uh, Kudos to them for making it memorable. I, I, I think that's the truth. Polarizing is what you're looking for. Reviled. (laughs) So, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um. Rob, I'm going to turn it to you because you seem to be the most outspoken about the episode. So um, I really don't even know where to start All with right. this because uh, – Well, I, I, I will say this. Um, you know, I, I, I do apologize. I've been kind of 
been pretty quiet through most of this episode because, again, um, I, I'm just trying to bite my tongue a lot. <laughs> if you don't have anything nice to say, you don't say exactly. anything at all. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's it's not that I don't love this series or anything like that, but I think it's kind of interesting uh, to show how weird uh, things can be. Um, you know, Paul, you mentioned, um, you know, the uh, episode six earlier in the season was one of your absolute favorites, Promises Kept, which was written by Oscar Balderrama and Rebecca Bellato. And your least favorite episode, also written by the same two people, um, which is kind of amusing. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) So, uh, but Collision Course, man, there's so much to absolutely, I'm going to get mine out, fucking despise about this episode. (laughs) Um, And man, I just, I... I've actually already gotten red in the face thinking about this over the last few minutes as we were getting to this point. Um, Man, where to start? So I think the best place to start is just the absolute insanity that just cripples every character in this entire cast, starting with Quentin, who is this kind of like, I don't know what he's trying to accomplish in this. And this is obviously, you know, him kind of trying to save Laurel. He takes, you know, takes her, you know, coming out off of being shot in the gut. Uh, from, um, you know, Dinah Drake in the the end of episode 13. And he kind of takes her off to this little cabin in the middle of nowhere. And is basically kind of like, look at all these family pictures. I understand it's not you, but I'm going to pretend it's you. And it's just kind of this messed up mindset. Like, you know, you understand Quentin to an extent. But even in this episode, man, he goes so off the reservation. It's not even funny. Um, And there and, you know. Laurel is sitting there and just kind of playing up on this as much as she can just to make sure she stays alive. But even she kind of looks at him at a point and like, you do know I'm not the same person, right? I've been trying to get this into your head for quite some time. And if it didn't sit in, it, I you definitely know it didn't sit in after he was beaten brutally about the head later in the episode. I mean, that's one of these sequences in this entirety of this this, this universe that still will always stay in my head because it was so brutal and just vicious and it also just destroyed so much all in a single shot um and it's one of the sequences i think all three of us will agree will never come out of our our heads in the the history of the Arrowverse. if we if every one of these shows was canceled and we talked about our least favorite episode or moment of the Arrowverse as a whole this episode would be the episode and this episode would have the moment i think uh, i don't think that's even a question on how far do you take a character and how far can you take characters before they're, they're there's no coming back from a situation and this episode proved that so much goodwill could be thrown out the window in moments but it's not even that we we have curtis in this episode potentially almost killing or causing john to die in this by hacking his chip and mm-hmm. putting him through immense pain and just a character that was supposed to be this kind of like happy go lucky lighthearted one out of all the new characters in the mix um completely throws away everything you see Renee and Oliver go toe to toe in some of the worst ways humanly possible but not a single character in this is intelligent with the exception of one and it's Thea just looking at everybody's like what the hell is wrong with you people mm-hmm. and I'll say it here pancakes 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 because all I want to do <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'll just I'll lend you mine fuck like that's like because that's what I was reserving it for anyway was this conversation about this uh, that this episode <laughs> yeah what the fudge uh, I mean yeah it's just man it's 
It's amazing how, and Rob, you hit the nail on the head too about like, not just in the course of this season, but the course of this series. This is that episode that got just stands out as one of, if not the worst. And actually, I don't even think one of. This is the worst episode, I think, of this series that they have done. And it's amazing that with all the character development that you've put into all these characters, and I apologize if I'm touching on points that people oh, already we're gonna made. Do this I'm just, we're going to talk in circles here. I know we will. So Yeah. It's just amazing that, you know, it, in a 40-minute span, not even in a 40-minute span, maybe a 20-minute span, just one fight scene of this episode. So maybe like a 10 to 15 minute span of one episode. Not even, probably you six com- minutes, probably max. Yeah, you completely undid every bit of character development you did on one character in particular. And that would be Dinah. Like everything that you built her up to be or that you wanted her to become you in in a matter of a second with one action. And that being her striking Quentin. You completely undid everything you ever did. And you made her, you turned her from a character that people were starting to engage and people were starting to be interested in into somebody who was reviled and hated. And then, like you mentioned earlier too, Rob, you completely avoided the fact that it ever happened. Yeah. I think in the next episode, you have Dinah and Quentin talking to each other as if that moment never happened. I think it's like two episodes later. I think it's either in the Thanatos Guild or Brother in Arms when you're in the you're in SCPD and Dinah and Quentin are, are are in a hallway and they're talking about stuff. And Quentin's got like this mass hematoma on his head and it's. And he's professional about everything and just dealing with the situation as best as he can. And she's just horrid. It's still. And you're like, and they're trying to play it off like everything's fine. And I'm like, no, everything is not. And it reminds because they they were smart with the consistency of the makeup jobs and their continuity sake of all these things. It's in the audience's face. So crystal clear. So when you see those characters interact, you're like, there's no going back. It's it's. It's in this interaction that you're seeing the results of this. It was bad. It was really bad. Um, And I I think you know what it is. And I don't know if you guys both agree with it. There's that first strike that she hits, hits Quentin with uh, his Christmas stick. And you're like, and it's a brutal hit. And then you're like, okay, she's going to snap out of this. Like, and she's like, oh my God, I just struck Quentin to help him up. Like, guys, this is the end of this fight. But like Quentin tries to get back up and she hits him like another two times. And, like, even more vicious than the first. And you're like, okay, wow, done, done. Yeah, so. yeah it, but, I mean, on top of that, too, I mean, not just in addition to the whole Dinah Quentin aspect of that episode, you also have the whole Oliver Renee aspect of that episode as well. Whereas, you know, we, we have, you know, Dinah who strikes Quentin undeservedly like this guy is just somebody he he's already down on his knees like he is in a he, he's in a a um I, I can't think of the word like, but he, he, he's in a he's prone like he's down like, that's yeah. it yeah he, he's in a prone position he's already giving in to the point where like he knows he has the disadvantage he's not going to attack you he's literally just he's protecting I, I believe somebody else I've tried to forget about he, he's, it he's protecting so the, Laurel yeah so the fact that you still strike him even though he is on his knees was one thing. But on the opposite side of that, with the Oliver and Renee aspect of everything, you've got Renee, who literally is most likely, I think it's safe to say, the mastermind of them 
going against Oliver and original Team Arrow to begin with. And you've got Oliver who beats the piss out of him and hospitalizes him. Whereas Quentin's strike was not deserved, in my opinion. Oh my God, Renee deserved it. Oh yeah. Well, well I mean, was, he absolutely deserved everything that he got. Renee was shooting at like an unarmed person. He was shooting at Felicity. He was shooting at Felicity. Yeah. And in, in this too, like Oliver did repeatedly in this whole situation and sequence was like, Renee, stop. And yeah. was like, and he just wouldn't, he, he would not. And I'm like, of course he's going to get beaten to a pulp because even when Oliver was taking it too far, and not even taking it too far, it was trying to stop Renee and without killing him, Renee never stopped. Renee was the only person responsible for Renee's condition by the end of it. And that's what drove me nuts about this episode so much. And they're like, you put Renee in the hospital. I'm like, no, Renee put himself in the hospital by not yeah. being intelligent. So it was, it. oh, God, I'm getting so here, uh, here, here. All right. <laughs> I know. I, I feel like we almost need to cut this short soon just because we're, start, well, well, we're starting well, to get angry. Thing. Okay, so and I, I've already kind of touched on this. And this is coming from a guy who's a big DC fan. I, I love everything DC. I, I love Batman versus Superman. And most people are like, what the hell's wrong with you? Um, never. Okay, so Marvel does Civil War. I know I, I've touched on this already. But here's my thing. So. And I, I already said it when when we watched Marvel Civil War, even though our all our favorite heroes were fighting each other, we still loved both sides. This, on the other hand, and it goes back to what I said about why bring these characters in. You decimated the characters of Renee, Curtis and Dinah. In particular, the one that hit me the most was Dinah, because Black Canary is one of my favorite characters in all of D.C., and I do not understand how Mark Guggenheim or anybody for that matter. I don't care if you're a writer, if you're a director, I don't care who you are. I do not understand how you thought this episode would work when you are having three characters do some of the most vile shit possible. You have Renee shooting at Felicity. First of all, what's Felicity doing there? But anyways, that's besides the point. She's an unarmed woman. She's harmless at that. She's not going to kick anyone's ass. Why are you shooting at her? And the whole bit with John Diggle. Oh, I do remember an episode where Curtis was offended that John never asked him to come to him first. Said, hey, I'll build you some tech to fix your arm. And then you use that shit against him? What the hell is wrong with you? And we won't even get into the Dinah thing because both of you guys already hit it. Why are you Why <laughs> are you beating on a defenseless man who... The, the whole thing with Quentin... Yeah, I know. He kind of went sort of like, you know, sociopathic kind of stalkerish yeah. kind of weird way. But here's my thing. And I look at the whole Laurel and Quentin thing as you're looking at two people who are seeing a possible chance at a, a, a second chance here. Uh, Quentin lost his daughter. She's lost her father. I kind of I yes, it, based on Earths, they are not related. But I think the the way the two approach it, especially by the at the end of the season, we really start to see laurel's redemption and you know quentin basically referring to her as his daughter he doesn't see there's an earth difference here um there okay in season five there's a mention between dinah and oliver where they say they they have a chance at second chances i kind of look at it like that way for black siren and quentin in season six i totally understand why he's defending her not to mention he knows that black Black Canary is batshit crazy at this point, and she's gone on J full Jason Voorhees mode of kill, kill, kill. I'm going to kill them all. Like, 
what is this? Like, I do not understand how they thought this episode would work. You guys said how it was one of your most listened to episodes after the episode dropped. Uh, same here. When I did what I was still doing bats, bows and books at the time, I did a full reactionary podcast to this episode. It was my number one listen to episode of all time. <laughs> Everyone was pissed off. I do not understand how anyone in the arrow camp thought this was going to work. Yeah, I, and you know what, one of the things is to when you look at this episode and actually this season as a whole, if you really think about this season and specifically one character and a character that reverberates through the entire season, which I think we can all agree is Black Siren. Mm-hmm. She's kind of the catalyst of the majority of the things that happen this season across the board. Um, she's one of the underlings involved with Caden's army and than Diaz. Uh, she is the catalyst of everything going off the rails between, you know, with the death of Vince, uh, because, you know, she's the one that's kind of forced into the situation to have to kill Vincent. Um, she's the catalyst of, you know, the fallout of new team arrow versus old team arrow, all these pieces. And all this is a reaction to the fact that the fans were pissed off that in season three, they killed Laurel Lance. And they're like, well, we're going to bring bring her back by doing another Earth version of her character. And, well, it now causes a big problem in, in, in potential story ideas and not good story ideas because they're, again, fixing a problem that they shouldn't have created in the first place. So, and I think that's kind of, that's, I think, why season six was a problem. It was trying to fix a problem that they caused earlier on, and they kind of outraged some groups of the fan base. And I know, Paul, you and I are two of those people. Mm-hmm. And they they say, okay, you know, we're going to find a way to make this right. But in trying to make it right, they, they created a worse situation on hands. Do you so. know, I'll, I'll be honest. When they killed her in season four, I wouldn't have been so upset with it had it not been the way it was done. She was killed by an arrow in the rib. Mm-hmm. But yet Felicity can take gunshots and two seasons later she's walking and we we've completely forgotten that she's walking based on tech um like so many characters in this series have been through so much worse and yet they didn't die but when it came to laurel well arrow and the rip oh she's dead goodbye it's like wait what like Oliver, my God, how many more scars does this man need? And from the sounds of it, we're just going to have a lot more after season seven. (laughs) Um, But it's like, yeah, like all these characters go through these massive beatings and gunshots and everything, and they don't die. But Laurel gets arrow in the rib. Oh, she's dead. And I think that (laughs) it's okay. Kudos to them for trying to bring her back. But here's my other thing. Why is it that every other version we get of Laurel is evil? Yeah, I can't like they did it uh, at the Earth X Laurel. Oh, she's this evil, pissed off woman. Why? Like, why? Why are they all so angry except for Earth One? Like, I don't get I Granted, we I think we've only had three. But well, like I said, Earth Two, we most of the heroes from Earth Two were were warped and kind of. Yeah more twisted and evil that earth Two essentially i think everybody kind of uses the dc comics Earth three where the mm-hmm. crime syndicate's kind of from um yeah. you know i think we even got to mention a little i think it was a season or two back when we're in flash where they even mentioned citizen cold in earth two as well mm-hmm. uh you know obviously we have citizen cold in earth x but it kind of along the line and you know earth x definitely makes sense 
yeah. you know, Nazis but, and whatnot. But but the original Black Siren was a hero that baked mm-hmm. cookies. Yeah. <laughs> like, why couldn't you have done that? You know, I don't know. Just, There's just, always time in season seven. Right? <laughs> so Yeah. Oh, my God. If we see Katie Cassidy holding a tray of cookies at any point in season seven, I'm going to that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be brilliant. Wow. Like I said, it, it, it's man. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's um Keep yeah, let, let's move on. I think we've I think we've we've discussed collision course enough. Um but let's kind of try and head towards wrapping this up. We still have two more things to do and that's rating the villain and rating the season. Uh so let's start with rating the villain. Again, we're doing a 1 to 10 rating, 1 through 3 being sidekick, 4 um 4 through 7 being hero and we're not even going to mention legend cuz it ain't going to matter. Uh starting with Paul since you are our guest. What rating do you give the villain of this season? I did two because Caden James technically was sort of the villain for the first half. Um, I found that he wasn't inspiring at all. I didn't believe he was a villain until his final episode, and then you killed him, and I was very upset. I didn't kill no, him. No, not you, but like the show. No. I, know, I know. I know the way I talk sometimes, <laughs> whatever. Um, <laughs> Devil's greatest trick, though, I will have to say, uh, one of you mentioned that was uh, one of your favorite episodes. I, uh, I'm yeah. up there. Rob. I'm up there with you. That was a, a really good one. Uh, I wouldn't say that I necessarily cried for the episode, but I did feel some feels for uh, especially the scene where he's being arrested while watching his son's basketball game. That kind of hit me. I was like, oh, that sucks. Um, I can kind of see why he turned out the way he did. Uh, but so with him, I kind of gave him like like a five. So he's like, what, like five? What is it? Five is zero. He's a hero. hero. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Ricardo title. Diaz, on the other hand, okay. So I like him, and I don't. I find that he's too much like Scarface, which kind of bothers me. And I'm talking the Al Pacino Scarface. Uh, a lot of times when he's on the screen, I'm like, okay, you're just emulating Al Pacino. So. I kind of liked him. Um, the other thing is, is his buildup was a little too late, but I guess that's because he's going to be more involved in season seven. I do give Arrow credit for that too, because I don't think they've really done that ever before, where the big bad kind of continued on into the next season. They've always had like the main battle as the finale, and then on to the next big bad, um, with the exception of I guess Merlin, because he kind of lingered through four seasons or five seasons, but. Um, Ricardo Diaz, he's kind of like a six, so he's like a hero as well. Um, I don't hate him, and I think there's a lot of potential for him in season seven, which is probably why I'm giving him a six right now. Because other than that, I never, I didn't understand how all of a sudden, like the whole city was afraid of him, how the whole city was in his pocket, how, and how, how how he had all these people like on his payroll and stuff. I never understood where all that came from. It was like. Okay, like I know you were like the lackey letting Kate and James do all your dirty work, but um, I, I to me it just seemed like it was a very messy and poorly written villain. Um, but it's the potential of season seven that I think is what's keeping me going and looking forward to where they go with it and what his tie in will be with the longbow hunters, honestly. So cool, that's that's my thing. Uh, 
Rob, how about you? Your rating of the villain? I was not as nice. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The uh, villains as a whole. um, And I'm going to include Kane James and Diaz kind of together. But if we're kind of breaking them up, because I can understand, because, again, we have our, our, you know, as Ben nicely put it, the BCC, ACC, you know, before collision course, because really Caden's storyline wraps up at episode 13 and Diaz's story really begins at episode 14. Um, I would say Caden, I would probably give a uh, a four, um, I think, or actually not even probably that. I would probably end him with about a three, because um, even still, when the other characters came in, we're like, OK, Vigilante's in this mix, Anatoly's in this mix, Black Siren's in this mix, Diaz is in this mix. I remember when we got that first shot of his kind of like, you know, Legion of Doom as we're looking at it, and half the people are like, who are half of these people? Why? You know, it was it was never explained, never really kind of fully it never it never came to pass. Um, but you believed and understood why he was doing it. It was just never the layers were never there. And when it when we did understand it, just like Paul stated in The Devil's Greatest Trick was finding out all those pieces and they bump them off. And I'm like, oh, OK. And then it was time for Diaz to kind of take over the show and finding out he was the one running things. And as again, as as. Paul, as you mentioned, um, there's a couple big problems here uh, with with Diaz as a whole. And it was too little too late. Uh, and I I actually, because I'm rating him as a whole as this season, next season, um, if he is still our big bad through the entirety of season seven, my score for him will be dramatically different. But I'm not even looking at his potential. Diaz as a villain, I gave him a two. I thought... He was a really it was there was never reasoning behind what he was doing. Um, As you mentioned, he had everything bought and paid for. How they just because they told us doesn't mean it's true or or, well, it's one of those things because they told us they meant make us feel like we, I guess, should just believe it and understand. But they don't give a reasoning on most of it. They gave him his own episode near the end of the season. And it was basically because he got bullied and picked on in his orphanage that he basically held this grudge to become bigger than somebody else and then brutally murder him. And his whole idea was he wanted to become a member of the quadrant. Well, he had everything he wanted. He bought and had the city in his back pocket. And he's like, I want to seat at this table. I want to be liked. It was just a, the worst reasoning for a, to be a big bad is because he wanted to see the criminal organization when when he was part of the quadrant. He just killed everybody within two episodes. They're like, I, this is the whole reason I want to do this. I want to be this respected person. I want to be be there. I want to be at this table. And in the following two episodes, that quadrant is down to one member by the very brutal end of it all. And it was it was very forced writing. Uh, it was. I'm a bad guy because I say so. Look, I'm doing these horrible things, and that makes me a bad guy. And that's what it was constantly with him. I think Ed was a very empty character. He was a – just because somebody can fight, well, guess what? We've had a lot of one-off big bad villains that were in single episodes um, that have been able to go toe-to-toe with Oliver through thick and thin. And because he had a little bit of money to bankroll him, doesn't make him a good villain, in my opinion. And having him with nothing and having the longbow hunters behind him next season, and he's doing this, that makes me interested. That makes me excited. What they did here, man, uh, I was really kind of bummed and concerned before they mentioned the longbow hunters and he was going to be around next season. I'm like, if he's our big bad, I don't know if I want to tune in again. So uh, I was 
more than a little disappointed with uh, with Richard Dragon. So you guys are making me feel generous, really. In in that I gave the villain to six. Uh, and I'm looking at it purely from the stance of Richard Dragon. I'm not even really looking at Caden James or anybody else. Cause by the end of the season, it does turn out that Caden James, not, not Caden James, uh, well, Caden James is more just a pawn in the entire game. Uh, Ricardo Diaz, aka Richard Dragon, is the man behind everything. And yes, while there were moments earlier on in the season where it, that wasn't really revealed and we didn't exactly know that until later on in the season, by the end of the season, and I mentioned that fight scene again, Richard Dragon kind of, or Ricardo Diaz really did stand out as somebody who, I guess from an intimidation standpoint, would like, look, we don't know how he did it. We don't know how he was so intimidating to the city, but he was. He was intimidating to the city. He had many people in his back pocket. When you look at the stance of him as a villain, he did his job. He did what he was supposed to do. He took control of the city. Again, we didn't get the explanation as to how it happened, and because of that, he lost a lot of points. But because of that, I give that character a lot of credit, and including by the end, when we see that physicality of the character as well, something that we leaned into with Tobias from Black Lightning, where he had that one moment where, okay, this guy is physically intimidating as well. Richard Dra- Ricardo went toe-to-toe with Oliver. And there were moments where he had Oliver up against the wall. So even physically... Ricardo Diaz was an intimidating villain. Now, it took a long time. It shouldn't have taken that long to for that to have been established. But it was established by the end. And Rob, as you had mentioned, too, with and Paul, I think you met you touched on this as well with them going into next season. Uh, I guess assuming that he's going to be the big bad or at least the one that orchestrates the long behinders and brings everybody together. Um, that's very promising for me. Uh, when you look at it as in he was set up to become this into season seven, granted, I don't think they should have taken an entire season to set up a villain for this, for the next season. But the fact that they did that, I think sets up a lot of promise for Ricardo Diaz. So I, I gave him a six above everything else. If it, if it's all right to uh, add one point and it kind of, no, we're moving because <laughs> I, I was just no, going to say, kidding. Rob, Rob <laughs> I'm just pointed kidding, something out that's actually kind of changed my thought on the villain. I think actually the number one villain of the season was Black Siren. Yeah, because because of her, we had like everything break down. Everything like like he said, she was a catalyst for so much. Actually, she was better than the two guys. Yeah. Yeah, she orchestrated so as much, much as I hate saying that because yeah. I want a redemption arc for her big time, but because I'm hoping she eventually is the Black Canary. She was pretty. Why I I I think we are getting a redemption arc. Uh, in I think we have season. to where that ended. Uh, you could see her kind of going that anti-hero route, and uh, but yeah, she was the catalyst, and she's the person that played most people through all of this. And yeah, yeah. we found out. Yeah, she was working for Diaz, but she was an opportunist. Versus, I think, just a patsy. So she kind of played everybody. She did, like, yeah. even to the point where she came out and said, "I'm Laurel Lance to the public." And, oh my god, well, that was that was a good sequence when she did that and just she's like, "Nope, I was held captive for the last two years, such and such." And Mike, brilliant. Like so. if if I'm gonna rate her as a villain, she was an eight. I think she was phenomenal. As much as I like, I said I I don't want that for Katie Cassidy's character. But she was pretty much the best villain of the season. Mm-hmm. 
And you know what? We've said this earlier on as well. I think Katie Cassidy portrays the villain better than she think does of, the hero. Think of her yeah. run in Supernatural uh, as, as the character Ruby. She was this yeah. massive yeah. catalyst uh, and uh, one of the big bads of the original first five-season arc of Super, uh, Supernatural. Uh, yeah. Next to Lucifer, she yeah. was pretty much second in control of all that situation. And it was great. Mm. So, yeah, it was, um, I, like I said, very... Uh, very happy to see that she is going to continue on into next season and to see what she's going to do with uh, whatever her new lease is, is going to be on life, whether it's a kind of a Jason Todd esque uh, kind of character, which is, I think what we're going to see as she kind of continues down the hero yeah. route. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right though. I think she, she does warrant um, kind of, you know, a, a, a pretty good honorable mention high score for a uh, villain of the season. So mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that'll leave us with one more, and that's rating the season as a whole. Let's just keep this fairly simple. I think we've we've touched base on what we've liked and disliked about the season altogether with with everything that we've gone over. Um, so let's just keep it simple. Let's just give our rating, maybe one or two notes if we have anything, and then uh, we'll we'll wrap it up and go into the news. Uh, so, uh, Rob, we'll start with this one. We'll start with you on this one. Uh, your final ranking of season. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I do apologize out there. Um, I have never given this score ever before. Um, I am giving this a, I'm Negative giving it a one. one. Um, I am wow. giving this the lowest of the low. And it's only because after, se- especially after season five, uh, originally, if I was thinking about it, maybe it was going to fall around at two or three when I was even thinking about my favorite parts of this season. I had an incredibly, incredibly difficult time um, thinking of any positives. And uh, that was that's very problematic. Um, and this is a show that has had two polarizing seasons and some would even say so they may have not even been polarizing. And we're now by the end of this we're three and three for Arrow, I think, in my opinion. I think seasons one, two, and five are, are some of the best of the best of the Arrowverse. And uh, seasons three and four, they had their positives. Season five, I think, um, not much to uh, to be too pleased with. And I, I, I really, as much as I do understand, you know, and, you know the, the, the few positives that were brought up, um, that's kind of the seeing, you know, if you're looking out into a sea of coal, just because something's shiny doesn't mean it's great. <laughs> so, um, and it's, uh, that's a good analogy. Yeah, I like that. That's kind of, kind of when I look, I look at all these things, there was a couple moments where I'm like, Hey, that was pretty great. But even those moments, I think did not elevate a really bad plot line for the season. Um, and, Again, because they said, hey, by the way, guys, uh, Ollie is now added to the general public. That could have happened in episode one of this season, of the next season. And, um, you know, I don't think it puts too much weight or bearing on the season as a whole. Just because you do something and it doesn't mean you earned that. And I think it's it's setting up something great for, as Paul, you mentioned earlier, it's kind of cleaning the slate for a new showrunner. And this was uh, this was a lot of missteps without a lot of positive outcomes to the point that you even had multiple actors leave your show throughout the season, because I'm sure the way that things were going, you could probably even feel that internally to the point that they changed showrunners Two of the longest standing cast members uh, decided they were parting ways with the show, man. If this was as strong as season five, it makes you wonder would some of those cast members still be a part of it. So, uh, yeah, 
That that's um I really don't know what else <laughs> to add to that. Uh Paul, how about you? Your final okay. ranking of I'll season go as six. fast as I can, I promise. Rating of season between <laughs> sidekick, hero, or legend, it's a cadaver. Um <laughs> this was rough. And it's exactly like Rob said, even though there were some positives, the negatives just really outweigh this season. Um looking forward. Uh, I'm obviously looking forward to the Supermax story. I'm also looking forward to Beth Schwartz as new showrunner. And I'll say this uh, as quickly as I can. Seasons one, two, and three, the showrunners were Greg Berlanti, Andrew Kreisberg, and Mark Guggenheim. And I do feel that actually Berlanti and Kreisberg were the strength of that. The reason being is because Guggenheim and Wendy Miracle are the last half of that. Seasons four, five, and six. And we only had one good season. Um, I, I don't feel that Guggenheim understood the character of Green Arrow. I don't think Wendy Miracle even came close. I'm sorry if this sounds pretty brutal and harsh, but season, season four was ridiculous. And like I've said, the death of Laurel never made sense. An arrow to the rib when everyone else has suffered worse. It, it, you, you, it's abysmal. Um, and season six, I, I, like I said, why bring in three characters that I might add in the in the comic books are well loved. Uh, Wild Dog does have a following. As a matter of fact, I even still even have my issue number one of that character. Um, Black Canary is a huge favorite, especially when put together with Green Arrow. And Mr. Terrific, like, even those that didn't know the character that well were still excited. We were getting Mr. Terrific. We were getting T-Spheres. Like, there was a lot of excitement brought into this. And you killed it. Like, Thank you. Like, not you guys. I, you know I love you both. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm talking about, like, in terms of showrunner, I'm really hoping good things for Beth Schwartz. I hope she understands the character she's going to be working with. I hope that she can bring back that feeling of season one, season two. And I go as far as to say season three. I did enjoy a lot of it. There was a few moments. But overall, I felt very positive about season three. Season four and season six, not so much. Um that's basically, and the Supermax story, I have somewhat of a background idea towards that. So I am looking forward to it. I like that uh, as much as Flash having Flash in prison, I didn't really care for as much. I'm kind of looking forward to Oliver being stuck in a prison. Um, I want to, I, I kind of want to see what that's going to be like. Um, obviously, we don't want him dead, but then again, if he's dead, there's no show. So, uh, well, I don't, I, yeah, I don't I, agree with that, but I, okay. I get where you're going with that. But I think for now, Stephen Amell is the reason for arrow. I, I do see that in future seasons that could change, but right now I think he's still got to be your green arrow. Um, he's your headliner and it, exactly, exactly. That show will not continue without a headliner like that. Unfortunately, right. Right. Um, um, if you're going to replace him, it's got to be someone who can be just as captivating, I think. Um, Paul, what is the number score you're going to give this between one to ten? Uh, cadaver zero, right? No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm with you. I'm a one. I'm a one. Yeah. I, I, it's a sidekick if I'm going based on the actual <laughs> format. Um, mm-hmm. Wow. I, again, I feel generous. Um, I, I'm not as generous as I was in the hero side. Um, but I'm giving it, uh, I'm giving it a, a three. Um, it's still sidekick. It's high sidekick, 
but it's you guys really touched a lot of the points that I have. I do still feel like there were there was a little bit of redemption in some of the things that we got, uh, especially by the end of it, which is what saved it from being a, a downright one. But uh, yeah, I mean, I still have to give it a sidekick as whole. Well. It's a season that while over the summer we we do like to go back and rewatch certain things. I know Rob, you mentioned at the top there were only a couple of things you had rewatched. Uh, I, I know I, after talking about the flash, I went back and I rewatched enter speed time or enter flash I, time. Yeah, and yeah. I know cr- uh, crisis on earth X is something I do want to go back and rewatch again at some point, but there's nothing about this episode that merits a rewatch to me. Like not one aspect of it. Maybe, maybe fundamentals just to see Josh Segura and the, just to see Josh Segura, Stephen Amell, uh, dynamic together again. Uh, but it wouldn't even be for the story. It would basically just be for the actors that I would be watching that. So there's nothing about this season that merits a rewatch to me. I, it's one of those things that I kind of just, if I, if I were to ever go back to episode one, when this series ends and go back to episode one to rewatch all the way through, I would most likely skip this season. Because I don't feel like there's anything in this season that would stop me from watching past it. Like, I feel like I could go from season five to season seven and not miss a thing. Uh, except heartache. Cause you get a lot of that yeah. watching this season. So I, I'm, I'm very hopeful for the season, but it's a definite sidekick. And I want to point out one thing before I, we move on, before we wrap this up and move on to the news. I bookmarked this specifically when I was going through, like going through the IMDb with the episode listings and everything. I came across this article and the, the title of the article in the Google search was why Arrow season six is arguably the best of the series so far. Now, my hope when I clicked the link was that it was a joke link and it was just said, it's not. And that was that. Like, it was just a a joke. But it's really not. Somebody actually wrote this article. And you look at some of the points that they're making and they break it into bullet points. And there are four bullet points, five bullet points. The first one is the evolution of the Lance family. I really don't think there was much evolution of the Lance family because it's not the true Lance family. Sarah's gone. Quentin's the only original. Laurel's not even from this earth. There's no evolution of the Lance family, so you're out of your mind. <laughs> two, Crisis on Earth X Part 2. Yeah, we all knew that was great, but you can't count that as no. part of the season. It had nothing to do with the season overall. So you cannot count Crisis on Earth X as part of the season whatsoever. It's not tied into all the 22 other episodes of the season. Doesn't count. Three, Deathstroke Returns. Yes, it was awesome. It was also only two episodes of a 23 <laughs> episode season. It barely had anything to do with the entirety of the season as a whole. Yeah. Yes. And Can't one of, count one that. of the things, too, uh, I, mean, I want to say it was at five, I think it was episode six, is the uh, unveiling of uh, Vigilante. Uh, and when we find out, and it's Vincent Zobel. And I think that's when half of us all went, who's that a guy again? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, bullet point four the return of Roy Harper. Again, a two episode arc. You are now up to four episodes of 23. That, okay, maybe we're great. Um, but the last one is really what made this person out of their mind completely. And it took everything I took, I had not to comment. Uh, their last bullet is divided and they are talking about collision, uh, collision course, how this helped the season. No, it didn't. You're out of your there mind. There are people that are diehard so, Arrow fans that usually support everything no matter what that even said that was the worst episode ever. Yeah. 
Uh, it's just, we can't say that this was our favorite team of heroes talking about like the new team arrow, but this latest team was starting to grow on us. Wow. <laughs> no, they weren't. I don't know what the hell episode you watched, but apparently it was animated because <laughs> it wasn't what we were watching. So like I saw this article and I was like, you, I guess at look, people have an entitled, are entitled to their own opinion. But man, this one is completely different from everything we. I, I've are heard. you sure it wasn't I think this a satire is probably the site? only person. It's oh, not a satire site. Makes it it's really worse. not. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping it was. Like I said, I was hoping I would click the link and I would be like, "It's." And the only two words in the article were, "It's not." <laughs> and, but it, oh, it wasn't. That's so. Harsh. But I think that's a good point to wrap up this annual and everything that um. That we've covered for this, which is going to wrap up all of our annuals for the summer as well. Uh, so let's move on to some of the DC news. That hey, it's a now. stretch if I can call any of this news this week. But hey, <laughs> hey, we we stretch the annual. We can yeah, we could. News. All right. So uh, really, really light on things. So we're just going to tear through this fast. Uh, so uh, Damon Lindelof's Watchmen series has officially been picked up by HBO, and we know it will be debuting at some point in 2019. My guess, probably the back half during the fall uh, fall lineup launch. So, I don't know because that's also when Game of Thrones, I think, is supposed to come is supposed to hit too. So I don't know if they're going to do both series at the same time. Uh, well, I think they're still talking that we could see um, it's more summertime. I think is when uh, Game of Thrones is hitting. So I would I, I'm thinking this is probably going to be a late October kind of thing. So get okay, yeah, because Game of Thrones is only right. seven it's, episodes. It's so just a, it's it's a couple quick short weeks. That's you're you're talking about two months time. Um, and more than likely would be wrapped up at that point. This is a perfect time to lead in with a new HBO show shortly after. That's going to be big budget. So uh, my guess is we'll be seeing that September, October 2019. So probably about a, about close to a year off, I would say, right now. Uh, jumping. Oh, yeah, I definitely. I'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to do with this. Uh, now, as far as the Flash movie, we have found out officially uh, it will be shooting on location in the UK. And they did say production will be fully complete by the end of 2019 for this film. So uh, my guess is we'll be seeing this uh, early 2020. Uh, my guess spring is uh, when we'll be seeing a release of this in the big screen. So uh, not a lot to go on there. But uh, but in addition to, though, um, going into the TV side of the world, uh, we did find out officially that Pennyworth, a previously rumored um, series that was going to be a 10 episode series, uh, is indeed going to be shooting for epics uh, later uh, this year in London. So. Uh, and we do, again, know that this is coming out on Epics, so um, I don't know what to expect from this. So, um, But I think it's going to be one of those things that uh, it might just be a, a, a tight 10 episodes telling a, a fun little backstory, but I think only time will tell. I think it's one of those shows that nobody really asked for, and all we can think of is uh, <laughs> Teen Titans go to the movies. So. Yes, yes. All right, uh, jumping over to the CW side of the world. Uh, jumping into the Arrowverse crossover this year, uh, they did say officially that we are going to, uh, or should expect to see uh, some more tight, uh, tighter storytelling that's a more personal type of stories. Uh, they said we can't go much bigger than we did last year, so think about this as more of a character-focused uh, character story uh, focusing on Kara, Barry, uh, and then Ollie, and then obviously now Kate Kane in the mix. So really looking forward to seeing what they, they do here. And uh, we do know, uh, again, officially, uh, as a reminder to everybody, that the Legends of Tomorrow will not be appearing in this this year. So, 
That's a bummer. Uh, I think it makes sense. I do understand why if we're if we're gonna get uh get that it, it, you're no longer forced to get those quick moments in for certain characters, but uh, we do have a fairly robust roster of characters still, and uh, it doesn't mean that we won't rule out seeing the Legends crossover in other ways with other shows this season still too. True. All right. Uh, speaking of crossovers, though, uh, the uh, women of the Arrowverse are hoping to do another uh, crossover somewhere uh, in one of the shows later, maybe sometime this year or if not next. So uh, it's the idea of just giving the chance to uh, let the, the the women that are been represented through shows such as Legends of Tomorrow, Arrow, Flash and Supergirl get a chance to stretch their legs together, and not just for the sake of having a girl's night out, but just realizing that uh <laughs> Well, I, this is actually even quote unquote from this. This is, uh, you know, where they get a chance to not just have a girl's out, but actually do something poignant and big. Uh, and uh, I would love to see them get a chance to do that. I know, uh, as we mentioned previously, the Bachelor Party episode from The Flash uh, did not fare high on our, our ratings during The Flash annual the other week. But um, they have proved in Legends of Tomorrow and in other shows that this can be done and can be done well. So looking forward to seeing if they get a chance to do this. Demo. So. Uh, jumping into some flash news right now, uh, we do have a little bit more about Keenan Lonsdale's involvement in season five. It sounds like we will only be seeing him in three episodes before he bows out of the world of the flash. Uh, again, very short for this upcoming, but we don't yet know how many episodes will be making appearances in Legends of Tomorrow as of yet. Um, my guess is it will probably actually be less uh, than that. Um, I have a feeling we'll see a quick one uh, one or two episodes with him in Legends before uh, we say goodbye to uh, Wally West for at least the time being. Uh, you know, we did see uh, Keenan uh, basically make the statement that he would be willing to make a return sometime down the road, but it was just time to take the next evolution and steps in his career. So uh, as far as Ralph Dibney is concerned, season five of The Flash. Uh, Hartley Sawyer did say this specifically that uh, to expect a very different person when Ralph makes his return here, um, you know, he made the ultimate sacrifice in, um, you know, this past season when we did see him kind of get, uh, you know, lose his life initially, but uh, end up fighting back in a major way uh, against DeVoe in the end of the season. So he is very much going to be in that full hero mindset. But they also did say expect to see his detective skills come into the mix a lot heavier uh, and then he said, we will do what we can to make sure that his skills rival that of Batman's as they do in the comics. So uh, jumping into some other Flash news for this upcoming season, uh, a big surprise out of nowhere. It sounds like in the very first couple episodes, classic villain uh, for the Flash comics, Ragdoll, will be making an appearance uh, in a single episode coming up. So uh, very much looking forward to seeing what we'll uh, we'll see there. This is a classic villain, obviously going back from the Golden Age. So very excited to see what they get a chance to do there. Uh, and then uh, we also did see some other shots recently of seeing uh, Jessica Parker Kennedy um, in uh, full costuming as XS, uh, a.k.a. Nora West Allen. So uh, very much looking forward to seeing, but it's very true to the Legion of Superheroes suit that we saw previously. We are seeing that classic XS logo down to the yellow boots, white gloves and all. So uh, very excited to see her role in the upcoming season. Uh, jumping over to the Legends of Tomorrow uh, actual cast, it sounds like we have a new 
series or uh, uh, or at least I think they said it's a reoccurring Gestrel with an option for, to become a series regular uh, in the following season. And all we know right now is it is going to be some form of wolf creature. Uh, now, when you talk about, you know, DC Comics, that could be quite a few different characters. So just off the top of my head, things like uh, Warren Griffiths, a.k.a. Wolfpack, uh, Kyle Abbott or Anthony Lupus, all are potentials here. But also we do know, again, this season is going to be devolving around uh, myths, legends and fairy tales. It could be just about anything. So uh, very much looking forward to seeing what they do with that here. And uh, last but not least, if you're just looking to add a couple movies to your you know, actual physical media shelf, um, a new Blu-ray box set of the DC East, uh, DCEU is out there now for $59.99. That includes Justice League, Wonder Woman, the ultimate edition of Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, Man of Steel, and Suicide Squad extended cut. So not a bad price to get all those on Blu-ray and digital. Nope. Um, I, I had a thought while you were talking about the um, the story with Excess and, you know, how the costume is very similar to the Legion of Superheroes costume. Um, I had a very interesting thought, and I'm wondering what both of you guys would think about this. It, do you think there's any potential of her being a member of the Legion, which is also the same Legion that Monel is a part of? And hear me out with this, because it, it's been rumored for a while that if they ever wanted to merge these universes, all they had to do was have some kind of crisis at, that merged all of them together. What if the future that both Monel and XS come from, this crisis has already happened, and the Earths are merged at that point? Could they potentially be from the same Legion of Superheroes? Oh, absolutely. I think that's very, very much uh, possibility. I mean, uh, Paul, I don't know what your take is on this, but I mean, I think that uh, kind of puts us into like some hyper time kind of stuff. I, I'm, I'm actually kind of thinking that it happens a lot sooner. I'm thinking 2024 because there is that headline paper that Wells was always looking at that said the flash vanished. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm not saying does the crisis happen oh, then. Okay, okay, I'm okay. saying that that the, the future that they're from is post crisis, oh, yeah, meaning all these universes have combined now from where they're from. So th- that's why, like, it, so in potentially in a, a potential future where both XS and Monel are coming from, they're both part of the same Legion. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. definitely think it could happen. Uh, yeah, and again, I, I again, it puts us in again that weird hyper time kind of part of DC, which is uh, let's not even get into that because it's uh, probably for the best. <laughs> so, yeah, but they have um, done it in the comics, absolutely. Where where things from the future and things that have not happened yet. I mean, hell, look at what's currently happening right now with uh, Doomsday Clock, um, and we're seeing the bleed over from the pre New Fifty Two into the present day, and we have characters like Booster Gold. Uh, from very different versions of the future coming back to a different worlds of DC numerous times in the comics. So um, I would say uh, they they could seriously go for broke. And if you're going to do it, The Flash is the right show to do it on. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. We're going to combine cheap plugs and recommendations together. So what we're going to do is we're just going to go around and we're going to say what we're you know, obviously where you can find us on other stuff and we'll give our recommendations at the same time. We'll try this a little bit differently this time. But Paul, since you are a guest, uh, we're going to start with you. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you got going on and what's coming up with um, okay. what lurks behind podcast zero and give us some kind of recommendation. Okay, well, recommendation first, uh, not comic book related, but it's 
author related if you want to go that way uh castle rock um i i didn't even realize i wanted this show and now that i have it it's like <laughs> i can't stop um whether or not I, I'm not sure to what extent Stephen King actually has involved in this. I've even heard a theory that people said this kind of got the Cloverfield um, uh, treatment where it was a story written by someone else that didn't sell too well. So now let's throw Stephen King references in it. And now it got sold. I don't know. I, I don't know all that stuff, but I just know that I love the show um, in the States. I know you guys get it on Hulu. In Canada, we get it on space. Um, it's a network over here, kind of like you guys sci-fi. Um, so it, I'm absolutely hooked on it. I it, I think we're five episodes in and five or six now. And it's it's been a lot of fun to watch, actually. Um, so that's my recommendation. I know it's not DC or comic book related, but it's kind no, of we've, kind we've of broken away related, from, yeah. Kind of author related, so... Uh, We've broken away from the whole DC recommendations. It's now anything pop culture. Yeah, okay. Um, as for what lurks behind Podcast Zero, the latest episode just dropped uh, yesterday, actually. Well, at, we're recording this Monday night. So it dropped yesterday. Uh, it's uh, Child's Play from 1988 was the featured film review. Plus, I talked a whole lot of other stuff, <laughs> as I usually do. Um, but you can find the podcast um Obviously at next level radio online.com slash podcast zero. Uh, I'm also on Facebook page, which uh, my Facebook page all of a sudden has started getting a lot of likes. Uh, <laughs> last week, I think I was at 54 likes I'm up to 80 all of a sudden. Um, Dude, it's it's weird how that happens. Yeah, because Rob and I went through the same thing right around our hundredth. Uh, where we found a huge boost in popularity and it, it, it keeps coming. And I can tell you right now, as somebody who monitors all the statistics of all the shows, uh, your shows are getting a good listen too. So yeah. no, you're, you're, I, you're doing well. Keep it up. Yeah. All of a sudden it's like the Facebook page has just started. It, it seems like each day I'm getting one or two likes. I'm like, wow, it's, it's starting to pop. This is awesome. Um, and for being only my 23rd episode in, like I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. It's like, all right, great. And I mean, obviously my Instagram account, a lot of people follow me on there and there's constant likes and comments and stuff. And it's a lot of fun. So if anyone wants to find the podcast, facebook.com slash what lurks behind podcast zero or on Instagram, what lurks behind podcast zero. It's very easy to find me. Um, but yeah. And, and as for upcoming episodes, um, next week's will be uh Doom which is a movie from, 1987 and it's really bad so i'm gonna have fun <laughs> talking about it um it, it stars uh patty mullen who uh for those who follow their really bad b movies she was the star of frankenhooker uh, <laughs> another bad movie that i uh, love bad but wonderful movie <laughs> oh i love it i absolutely frank henenlotter films are so much fun to watch um and then after that, I'm doing Evil Dead and then um, the movie uh, H.P. Lovecraft Dagon. And October is the month that I'm I'm already planning October. I'm going to have a blast during that month. So, uh, yeah. So but that, that's it for me. Thanks. I'm I'm still waiting for the uh, for the Event Horizon episode. Don't worry. I haven't forgotten Dead. you. <laughs> I haven't forgotten you. Uh, yeah. So. 
uh, as you know, as Paul had mentioned too, the um, the podcast network itself can be found at nextlevelradioonline.com, uh, facebook.com slash nextlevelradioonline. Uh, the Facebook page for this podcast alone, next level radio online dot, uh, facebook.com slash DC primetime. Um, yeah. And of course we have the other podcast that I'm doing on there can be fine on both, uh, can be found on the next level website, which is the lost, uh, we have to go back lost revisited, which we're getting to record our next, we're getting ready to record our next episode with that. And of course the showcast spotlight, which I, th- which is our celebrity interview podcast, which I think, I might actually be getting ready to reformat. Uh, when we first started it, it was me and my co-host Adam who were doing all the celebrity interviews. Uh, Adam, for the most part, is no longer a part of the podcast network, uh, due to some family issues and, and, uh, drama that's been going on behind the scenes. He kind of had to take a step back and I'm not exactly sure he's ever going to take that step back in. So it's going to be just me, which is fine, but I think I'm going to be reformatting soon to not only include like celebrities from television and film, uh, but also, um, professional cosplayers, YouTube personalities and things like that. I kind of want to expand it a little bit and, and cover like a larger scope. So I think, uh, um, we're going to be doing that in the next month or two. I'm going to be reformatting that. As for my recommendation, uh, again, not DC related like Paul's, but I want to recommend a movie that I saw once. I, the first time I saw, I really enjoyed, but I've since watched it a couple times and I've grown to absolutely love it because I think it is so much fun and really at the bottom, at the core of the movie has such a heartfelt story. And that's the movie. Tech. Oh, so good. It's so good. It's, um, you know, Jeremy Renner, uh, uh, Jeremy Renner, John Hamm, uh, Jake Johnson, Ed Helms, Hannibal Burris, uh, Isla Fisher, uh, Rashida Jones from Parks and Rec. Uh, just so many great people in it. And again, it's, it's one of those movies that I didn't know what to expect going into it. It turned out to be so much fun the first time I watched it. But every time I've watched it since, I grow to love it so much more every time i watch it so if you haven't seen it yet check out tag it's just it's a wonderful movie. and jeremy renner uh jeremy renner does that uh, that movie with uh two broken arms for most of it <laughs> so yeah i've, ne- I've <laughs> never very, seen very it true. So i'll have to check that one out for sure it's so good it's so good uh as for me uh my recommendation is uh also not dc related uh actually is uh do me a favor and jump over to amazon and punch in this author's name, Catherine McIntyre. Uh, this is my wife. And she just actually what? got to, um, she just closed out the series that kind of started her uh, her run as a published author. Uh, her airship series, her airship pirate story, uh, which is called, uh, the series is called Take to the Skies. It starts with uh, an airship named Desire, uh, then follows up in a tale of two airships, and then just concluded and just came out this past Friday with uh, the airship also rises. So all little fun literary puns uh, on on those titles there. Um, they are not reskins of classic novels, uh, and this is a the uh, all original story. Uh, very very fun, very much uh, steampunk mixed with uh, Firefly is the best way I can put it. But uh, very very proud of her in the six years of being published. Uh, I think uh, she has had over 20 books released, and I think she is um, – some of those books are no longer on the market, but all of them will be, I think, returning by early 2019 with a whole bunch of new stuff on the way. She just had a couple of new series picked up uh, that she's announced. So uh, if you get a second, uh, check out her stuff over there. I think she's still running a special. So if you're an ebook reader, I think it's uh, 
for under five bucks, you can get the entire Airship series uh, through uh, a digital format. They're also available also through audiobook and um, uh, through print as well. So and tons of stuff on there. But uh, incredibly, incredibly proud of her and her accomplishments there. And then as for me, uh, you can always find me at nextlevelradioonline.com through the Caffeine Crew cast of pods. Uh, I just finished editing our Jim Henson episode uh, earlier today, so that will be out probably the same day that this episode is released. Just check uh, check in on that episode a couple days later, or not a couple days later, a couple hours after this posts. <laughs> and uh, that is our Jim Henson special. It was a ton of fun. We get a chance to talk about our love of characters like the Muppets and even just the Jim Henson Creature Shop. And all the way up to some more recent things, even bringing up some things like the Happy Time Murders, which is going to be coming out very, very soon. So because, um, again, all Henson related. So uh, but, yeah, it was a, it was a ton of fun to do. And um, I think next to the Disney episode, we did one of my absolute favorites. So nice. nice. Rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, special thanks to Paul for joining us for this uh, for this Arrow annual. No, oh, oh, thanks for having me, guys. It was fun to uh, to rant about an horrid season mm-hmm. of the television show. Yeah. But like, but like <laughs> I said though, this this show is the one that started it all. I am extremely passionate over it, even if that passion is filled with hatred at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I still I, no, I care a lot about it, and you know, like I said at the very beginning, this has nothing to do with the actors. The actors are phenomenal people. It's just it was a train wreck of a season. Yeah. No, I, I I agree with you completely. Yeah. I think we're we're pretty much in agreement about that. So it's again no disrespect to any of the actors or anybody who uh, was a part of making the episodes. It's just the writing was struggling. So we'll leave it at that. But that's going to wrap it up for this annual, as well as all of the annuals for the summer. So we thank you guys for for listening and in, uh, indulging us. Of course, we want to hear about your opinions on these shows as well. So you can comment, leave messages, uh, post on the Facebook page. Uh, any way that you can get in contact with us, we encourage you to do so. As for next week, our summer episodes are going to continue. We are going to do, I guess, our Silver Age number two is what we're calling mm-hmm. it. Uh, in which we're going to be talking about 1966 Batman, which we haven't talked about yet. And of course, the uh, 19, I think it's 78. I believe you're correct. I think it's 1978 Richard Donner version of uh, of Superman, which I'm really excited about because I adore that movie so much. So yeah, so we're going to be talking about those next week. And then the week after... Plans are still in the works, but we're not going to reveal exactly yet. But hopefully by the time you're listening to our Silver Age number two, we'll have everything ironed out for two weeks. And I promise you, you won't be disappointed if everything works out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're we're working on something fun uh, that we haven't done before. Uh, and maybe you have a, a very a special po- guest. <laughs> a potential special guest for this one, too. Yeah. So it's... uh. Hopefully everything works out, but we'll see. If it doesn't happen in two weeks, maybe we can kind of push it for three weeks out and then we'll do something else. But still a number of weeks left in the summer before these shows come back. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out as we go along. But for now, enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you for listening to us. Oh, special thanks to... Um, I never remember how to pronounce his his YouTube. Uh, it's like NST117 or whatever for for providing the music for for the annuals uh as he does for the flash annual legends annual and supergirl annual as well um but you can find the link to his stuff in the description of the podcast so 
it, it's easier there. But until next time, we'll see you guys around the bend. Take care. Peace. Peace.